What's up, y'all? This is Mikey Noshal. And this is Andrew Chapman. Welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We wanted to let you know that we have a five-day silent meditation retreat coming up September 1st through the 5th, and it's going to be in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. That's right. You can find all of the information on floweringlotusmeditation.org under upcoming retreats, and it is called Peace Within the Wild Heart. It is a five-day silent meditation retreat located an hour outside of New Orleans. It's good for both beginning and experienced meditators. We will have instructional talks, group interviews, and it is just a blast. So come out and sit with us. Yeah, right on. And as always, if you wanted to support Wild Heart Meditation Center and this podcast, please like, subscribe, rate wherever you are listening to this to help people find us. And if you'd like to financially support us through donation, uh, you can do so through Venmo at Wild Heart Nashville. As always, peace and love. I hope you enjoy. for your practice in whatever way it showed up. Something, I can't remember who told me this, but at one point it was uh, helpful to hear that just sitting in mindfulness is wholesome karma in and of itself. Even if we sit in meditation and the whole time we're just presented with this hateful mind, and it's like, God, my mind is so hateful. That is actually what mindfulness is like. Even if we sit with this body and it's like, oh, this body's so painful, that's actually helpful. So sometimes we say it may not be good news, but it's good information. So if you just sat and uh, you had a terrible time meditating, thank you. It's a generous act <laughs> in and of itself. I appreciate your practice in whatever way it showed up. So um, the Buddha, was considered a uh, spiritual physician, Dr. Buddha, right? And I like this framework of looking at the Buddha as a physician because we start with a diagnosis. And what's the first thing he diagnosed was suffering. Have you all received that diagnosis? <laughs> Have you suffered? And if you're anything like me, sometimes getting a diagnosis, it can be some of that bad news but good information like we get diagnosed with uh, the flu oh okay now it makes sense bronchitis oh it makes sense i remember when i was first diagnosed with depression i i felt a sense of relief oddly enough i was like oh yeah it makes sense so as we go through our day-to-day -day life sometimes we need to receive that diagnosis even today i had a hard conversation with a friend and i was really up in my head and then i diagnosed myself you're suffering got a sense of relief so even leaning in to the, uh, the physician's first step of understanding that we need to diagnose that we're suffering occasionally but he didn't stop there he offered a, a prescription as well 
And the prescription to end suffering is the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is a collection of, of practices that some lie in the wisdom basket of the Eightfold Path, some lie in our ethics, and some lie in our meditation practices. And with this Eightfold Path, we have, uh, we have eight of them. <laughs> we have uh, wise view, wise intention, we have wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. And then we have wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And as we have eight of these things, it's not a linear path. It's not one, then the other, and then the other. They all work together here. And you may see the, the visual of the Dharma wheel that has eight spokes. And what we want to do is have a well-rounded practice. And we want to develop all eight spokes of these You know, in our modern culture, we, we really love the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path, which is mindfulness. So much mindfulness. But I feel like as a broad practice that our, our, our wheel is kind of wonky. So I want to make sure that we can go through um, some of these in detail. And the first one I want to go through, and which is the topic of today, is right view. Right view, the first factor of the Eightfold Path. And what I want to cover in this talk is what right view. I'm going to start with what right view isn't. And I'm going to talk about what it is. And then how we can hopefully adapt this into our everyday lives. So what is not right view? I don't know if I've ever heard two words put together that sound any less Buddhist. Right and view. If you're anything like me, you may have had your feelings hurt by religions telling you what the right view is. This is the correct way. Believe this and you will be correct. Join this religion because we are the correct one. Everybody else is wrong. This is the correct view and believe it. Don't investigate it too much. Just have faith. And that's actually counter to what the Buddhist path is. And I think what's helpful when we go into the Buddhist path, I, I think it uh, softens a lot of divisiveness, right? That one religion says we have the right belief and right view, and the other one says, nope, we have the right belief and right view, and now we're fighting with each other. And that's actually the problem we want to confront in Buddhism is all this fighting with each other, fighting with ourselves, fighting with each other. So we shine the light of investigation on what right view is. And I think that's something that really brought me into the Buddhist path was uh, this attitude of question everything. I remember one of the first Buddhist books I read, it said, question everything. You know, and I'm like this cynical punk rocker that has maybe a little hyper-reactive critical awareness. And I was like, fuck yeah, question everything. I will question everything. But then there's also this other side, question yourself too. I'm like, fuck no. <laughs> That's too much work. So when I started to question everything and question myself, I was presented with a lot of these fixed views. And this leads me into what it's not. This right, a right view is not black and white fixed views, fixed beliefs. And if you're anything like me, you may fall into a lot of that black and white thinking. Anybody have black and white thinking in here? Yeah. I know so many times in my life that I get this broken heart. Like, 
like something hurts me so much that my head tries to make some sense of it. And if I can just look back into my life, my, my mom uh, had a rough time in her childhood, and I know a lot of that trauma was passed down to me. And she, especially when I was younger, had, had a lot of fear. And as I was growing up in this world, I, I, I looked to my mom, and my mom was afraid. So I grew up to be an adult that believes the world is a scary place. And as I grew up thinking this world's a scary place, that I could rest in an isolation, that I feel like I'm separate from this world and I don't belong in this world. And all these people playing this game of the world are so phony. One of the books, uh, Catcher in the Rye, I love that book. And Holden Caulfield in that book talks about how there's all these phonies. I remember reading that as a teenager and I was like, this guy gets me. These people are phony. And that's my view of the world, that these people are phonies. That they play these capitalist bullshit games. They're all phonies. And now I'm living in this view of the world, that I'm separate from this world, and all these people out there are full of shit. And it's a tough view to live, live in. And even if I go into some of the just everyday beliefs I have, like I'm hardcore vegan. I've been vegan since... God, I've done 20 years almost now. And it's something that I've spent time doing animal rights work. I've worked in vegan restaurants. It's something I care dearly about. My whole family is mostly vegan. And it's something I care dearly about. And then when I get confronted with, with meat, my mind used to go, people who eat meat are just terrible people. I felt they're all bad. If you do this one thing I disagree with, you're all bad. You're all wrong and you're just a terrible person. And that's not a helpful thought. And when I start to question myself, I go, oh yeah, that isn't a helpful thought. That doesn't make any sense. There's plenty of people I love dearly that eat meat. And then I start questioning myself and start softening around this black and white thinking. Because we start seeing the world more completely when we practice right view. And to be honest, I think something that brought me into the Buddhist path was a little bit of this, these fixed views in black and white thinking. I remember when I first heard the core teachings of the Buddha as a belief system. You know, sometimes, I, I know when I was 16, I took a comparative religion class, and the teacher was teaching about Buddhism and the belief of Buddhism. And what do Buddhists believe? The Four Noble Truths. And what are the Four Noble Truths Buddhists believe? First one, life is suffering. I was like, oh, I was a depressed teenager. I was like, fuck yeah, life is suffering. (laughs) Thanks, I'm in. This religion makes so much sense to me. Life is suffering. And then the second Noble Truth they teach is desire is the cause of suffering. Oh, yeah, I'm depressed. I don't want to do anything. I want to stay in bed. Desire? I got none of that. That's great. Yeah, these phonies that are desiring all this life and living life so, so fully, they're, they're the ones that are full of shit. Buddhism gets me. And then the third noble truth they teach in this belief system is there's an end to suffering. If I just stop desiring life, and things in life, because it's all suffering, then I'll reach full awakening. And then they teach the Eightfold Path as the path to do this in their own, that's what Buddhists believe and pray to, is the Eightfold Path, apparently. 
And I, I think there's a certain sense that I've heard a lot lately that people say Buddhism is a religion without belief. Because I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I know when we fall into viewing the core teachings of, a Buddha, of the Buddha as belief, it can create a lot of harm. But what we want to do is step into what actually right view is teaching us. And in right view, we come to practice these Four Noble Truths. If you know right view, you know the Four Noble Truths intimately and deeply. So right view is this Pali Sanskrit word called samaditi, samaditi. And this word sama, S-A-M-M-A, a lot of times is translated as right. But like I said, we get into that dichotomy of right and wrong, and then we have this wrong view. But I, I don't think that really does it. So I like how um, some people start calling it complete, sama as complete. So do we have a complete view? Rather than our narrow fixed views, complete view. And in this complete view, we welcome in the Four Noble Truths as a practice, not a belief system. So are we viewing the world through the Four Noble Truths? So as we shift from a belief system into a practice, the first noble truth is in life. There is birth, aging, sickness, and death, sorrow, lamentation, despair. We'll be in company of what is not dear and we'll be separated from what is dear. And I'm not asking you to believe that. I'm asking you to embrace that. Where in life has your heart completely broken? And we're invited to turn towards that rather than away from that and completely understand the suffering, the pain, and the difficulties in our lives. And when we do that, our view starts widening. Like I said, some of my narrowed views are caused by my broken heart. I'm trying to make sense of the pain that's going on. So I, I, I harden my mind around the pain to make some sense. But this is, this is the invitation to say, oh, open the mind up and allow the heartbreak to be here. It's okay. We'll all go through heartbreak from time to time. Let's have compassion for that heartbreak so we don't have to harden our minds. So that's the first noble truth is that invitation to say yes to pain. But why would we ever want to do that? Because the cause of suffering is our reactive and repetitive fight to avoid pain. When pain arises, whoop, nope. And we lose our own free will to be with life fully. So when we are able to be with life fully, it will be painful, and that's okay. Let's have compassion for that pain. And when we have compassion for pain, we start to develop a sense of free will. I can be free with my pain. I can be free and at ease with my pain. I can be peaceful with my pain, rather than falling into the cause of suffering, which is the fight for pain to not be here. And when we do that, when we're actually free with pain, the third noble truth happens, which the third, third noble truth is the higher happiness, which is peace. The third noble truth is what we call nibbana, awakening. And, you know, sometimes you hear nirvana. And while this may be a strange word that many of you haven't heard before, nibbana, uh, it's actually in the time of the Buddha, it was an everyday term. It was a cooking term. It's a cooking term that meant when a pot is boiling, you, you remove it from its heat source and it cools off. So it's cooling off, cooling off the reactivity, 
cooling off to be with life as it is painful from time to time. We don't have to bubble up in the fight. We can be cool with our pain. And not cold, not dismissing pain, not hot, not fighting pain, but cool with it. And then how we do that is this practice that I'm talking about, this Eightfold Path. So rather than uh, believing anything, the Buddha asked us to observe and practice. And what I'm hoping is that we can be real. That mindfulness, like I said, mindfulness is a lot about remembering. Remember. Not remember like recollect and memory, but remember. It's this word sati, remember. Remember to come back to your heart. And so while we may call wise view, right view, complete view, a wisdom practice, to me, it really, it's a heart practice. It's a way to open up the heart completely. And if you look at the Metta Sutta, Metta Sutta is the Buddha's discourse on loving kindness. He brings up view in this. It, it, it ends. This whole message that the Buddha gave on wishing all beings ease. May all beings be at ease, that we wish this practice in all directions to all beings, as he's teaching us this practice of being gentle and kind towards all beings, he ends this message. It says, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision is not born again into this world. So by not holding to fixed views, it is a heart practice. And if you're anything like me, it may be hard right now to not have fixed views. Like, the world is fucking heartbreaking right now, right? It makes me pissed off. It makes me angry. It makes me want to act. I think, I think my heart has room for all of that, right? But when I fall into these fixed views, it leads me to a lot of suffering. When I fall into these fixed views, it creates a lot of violence in the world. And so this is where I, I gain faith when I remember the Dharma. When I lose faith in the world, as you know, the political division, the divisiveness in the world. You know, I've had my heart broken a lot lately, just being a part of this world. Right? And, you know, to hopefully get away from politics, but politics are in the picture too. You know, all the gun violence, Roe versus Wade getting overturned, the, the just the environmental protection agency getting uh, dismantled, for lack of better words. It's fucking heartbreaking. But I don't want to fall into the fixed views that lead me to hate. While I still may have my views, I still want to question my views. Because as soon as I believe this is right view, these are my views, I'm right, you're wrong, this leads me to a sense of hate. And there's so much hate in the world right now. And it's this false belief, if you go away, I'll be better. You and me disagree, I must destroy you. I must crush you. And it's... It's heartbreaking because that's what I'm seeing a lot in the world. That's what I'm seeing myself, let's be honest. 
When somebody disagrees with me, I can watch that tendency to destroy them. But with this practice of right view, that part of me that wants to destroy them, can I have compassion for that and feel into what the heartbreak really is happening right now? And to see that, that everybody has their views. It's a, it's a necessary thing we have to have. Yes, we have to have views and opinions and beliefs. But understand, those are views, opinions, and beliefs. And a lot of our views, opinions, and beliefs are based off of our own experiences. And understand that, uh, something my teacher said, that if I had the same experiences as you, I'd believe, I'd believe the same things as you. And so when we open up to our own experiences, we can start having a better stance of understanding and have a more open view. And so the, this uh, practice of, of right view invites us to how, how to have a view of the world, not what view we need to have of the world, but how to view the world. And, and so I want to take time to just open it up here. And then if we have time, we'll do a little practice on this too. So. Um, I'm curious, you know, what, what challenges do we have currently around this right view? Um, what, what practices? Where does your heart ache and your head harden? Uh, so I want to open up a little bit here. And if you'd uh, like to speak, just raise your hand and I'll call upon you. And when you do speak, speak from your own personal perspective. Respecting I statements. Uh, let's try not to go into any advice giving or anything like that. If you have any questions, please direct them my way, and I'll do my best to answer them. And uh, yeah, I'll just open it up there. Thanks. <laughs>